I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Tony. And I hope you notice how quickly and energetically I came up these steps, which is a far cry from previous times when I limped and I needed assistance because there's a type of rejuvenation that's taken place in my life. And uh, there was a time I felt I was going to die. Now, there's a wonderful feeling that I'm going to live forever because forever is, is the moment and the present. The other morning, I turned on my computer, turned on my screen, and the first thing I saw on my screen was this, and I'm just going to read it to you. We came to believe that alone we were powerless over alcohol. This was surely a choice and a most difficult one. We came to believe that a power a higher power could restore us to sanity. Then we became willing to practice AA's 12 steps. In short, we chose to become willing. And on the bottom of that paragraph was a statement that Bill W. wrote this in a letter in 1966. And it is on page 4 of the book as Bill sees it. And the next thing below on my screen was this statement. Willingness is doing what I have to, whether I want to or not. And some other member had contributed that to this discussion that was going on on the internet on willingness. And in a way I thought, how appropriate. I had been contacted on the internet by one of the members of this group here and asking me if I would be willing to talk on willingness. And I said, surely I responded with my computer that I would. And I thought, well, Tony, you've had a real interesting life and career before AA and in AA. And there's enough in your life to indicate different degrees of willingness, different degrees of unwillingness, rewards for having been willing, penalties for having been unwilling. So certainly I didn't have to delve into any books to find out what I'm going to say regarding willingness. But I know for all the years I've been coming to AA, been coming to these meetings, for all the years that I've had some opportunity to stand before and share, one thing I did was tell the people how it came to pass that I am standing where I'm standing and sharing what I'm sharing. In the first week of August, 1977, 
I was in the 54th year in my la- of my life. I had just lost my medical license for a second time. I had just been released from a correctional institution for a felony conviction for a second time. And I was at the depth and the worst point in my life. Never thinking after this kind of activity that I would ever practice medicine again. Somebody directed me to a group of recovering physicians and it turned out that they were having a meeting in New York City, the Statler Hotel, Pennsylvania, the first week of August, 1977. And it was arranged by some kind of scholarship that I should go to this meeting if I could find a place to live while in New York. I have relatives in New York and I found a place and I went to that meeting. It was a big auditorium and I went and I, they had a microphone walking around introducing people and I heard people sharing. I heard physicians telling stories. I heard Gene S. from San Antonio telling how he had been in Texas State Prison how he had lost his license, how he got it back. I heard other physicians talking about things that had happened to their life. And I must tell you that one of the most wondrous feelings happened to me. I had been up in Connecticut in the backwoods and I'd gotten into a lot of trouble and I thought I was a pariah. I thought I was a a scum of the earth uh, with what happened to me. And here I felt hope. I uttered these words in my mind that if I ever recover, if I ever make my way back, if I ever have the opportunity to practice medicine again, I want to stay close to this group. Now that was, I don't know where that came from, but for me, that was a kind of an expression of willingness, a willingness to want to do something. But I know from the past that I often had good intentions which I couldn't fulfill. I often had good uh, goals which I didn't achieve and which I didn't implement. And I realized there was a big gap between intention, wanting, and willing, and doing. And it took a certain fuel to power the vehicle of, and the engine of willingness. At that time, I didn't know what the fuel was. I had a feeling that these people knew something and I was willing to listen. I know that the course of action of my life was a different kind of willingness. It was a willingness to satisfy my 
basic appetites. It was a willingness and a desire to achieve my personal goals and agenda. And it was a self-centered willingness. I had no place to go. I had no license, I had no job, and I had no place to go but to AA. And I went to local and street AA. I didn't like some of the stock things I heard. I didn't like some of the platitudinous things that I heard. But I was willing to suspend my criticism. I was willing to suspend my resistance and my opposition to let some of the things seep in, to listen to what they told me to do. And the first thing was to go to meetings. And I would go. He told me to get a sponsor. I didn't know where I could find somebody who would have the insight into this Machiavellian personality, to this complex nature such as mine, who would be able to sponsor me. But some big gargantuan individual came up to me and says, I will be your temporary sponsor and you'll find one eventually. And it was a Bill H. from Hadley, Massachusetts. He was part of IDAA at the time and he became my sponsor. And he would tell me what to do. I'd get ticked off because he really wasn't a doctor. He was a doctor of education. And I felt he got into our group through some subterfuge. <laughs> that there were all sorts of tricks in this fellowship and especially in IDAA, you know? I thought it was supposed to be for just high class MDs. But I was willing, and this was a willing of desperation because I had no, no place to go. I had nothing more I could rely on within myself. None of my choices, none of my celebrations, none of my decisions, as I reviewed them, had given me anything but momentary pleasure momentary heightened experiences of a short orgiastic nature so I had to rely on something and somebody else and I put one foot in front of the other and I must say that one other theme became very paramount in my life It may have had a lot to do with some earlier years of my development, 
stories that I heard about my parents who were persecuted over in Europe, over in Greece by the Turks, that it's very important to survive. By that time, World War II had come and gone, and we'd heard and seen millions of people killed, decimated, uh, concentration camps, life degraded, humanity uh, decimated, people's dreams and hopes gone, but I was still alive. And that was the most precious thing that I felt I had. Life and the ability to go on. And I intended to do that. So I kept going to meetings. I kept going to meetings. A couple of things I heard at meetings started to make sense. It used to be that I would make all sorts of promises, all sorts of commitments, and not keep many of them. They were just words to me. And something I heard at a meeting is don't make a promise unless you can keep it. Keep your mouth shut unless you mean what you say. And I started paying some heedance and credence to that. I wouldn't say anything unless I meant it. I wouldn't make a commitment unless I meant it. I kept going to meetings and I kept coming to IDAA. Meeting after meeting. I kept coming and I kept getting up and sharing and I was willing to reveal the dark, ugly secrets of Tony Caminos. Slowly, slowly, but they started coming out, and the more they started coming out, I found an acceptance. From that acceptance, I found encouragement, and from that encouragement, I found more hope. And from that hope, I found a willingness to try something more, to try something more that AA was trying to teach me. I was very scientifically oriented, didn't cotton to the idea of higher powers, didn't cotton to the idea of prayers affecting people's lives. There's a lot of things that I was resistant to. And I thought it was because I was smart and highly principled, and it was because I was dumb and I was lacking and I was uh, stupid. And I became willing to listen a little more. I didn't, I happened to be in Chicago at a meeting. I had gone on a medical uh, public, uh, 
It was a medical meeting I had gone to, a medical convention in Chicago. And while I was there, I went to a mustard seed meeting in downtown Chicago. And they were talking about taking the fourth step. And someone says, oh, I haven't done that because I want to do it perfectly. And I'm not ready to do it perfectly. And I said, gee, that's how I feel. And somebody popped up and said, no, do it any way you can. Start it, make the effort, and something will happen. And I said, that sounds good. And I became willing to make imperfect efforts in my desire to be perfect. To make small steps, to take small steps in my effort to learn more about this program. That was a big step for me. I thought I was making some progress. And I went to the celebration of AA's founding that was held in New Orleans in 1980. I'm not sure whether it was a 35th or something, but it was a big gathering that they had in New Orleans in July of 1980. And I was able to go to that. And several thousand people had gathered from all over the world to come to this uh, AA convention. And they had AA Marathon. And they were taping these meetings. And there was an AA speaker who shared, and what their message was, was tremendous and it touched me. And this message was being taped. And the guy who did the taping, the meeting had finished, had gotten up and left the machine. And part of me was unwilling to spend the five dollars that it would cost to buy that tape when it was reproduced. And so, practicing an old craft of mine, I sneaked over to the machine and took out that master tape and put it in my pocket and walked away and didn't think much about it. came back an hour later and the guy who was running the machine said somebody took the master tape and unless we get it we can't make a copy of it and here I had that tape in my pocket and it was fish or cut bait at this time and I was willing to reveal myself and stick my hand up and say, I'm sorry, I'm not well yet. The demons are still with me. I was three years in recovery at the time. And I confessed my theft and I gave him back the tape. I realized then that I had to be willing to let go of some of these old ways of mine 
that being sober and being part of this program required a kind of action to back up and implement any kind of intention and any kind of willingness. I'd like to say that that was my last venture into petty thievery and my last uh, misbehavior. It wasn't. But at least I had developed a kind of awareness, a kind of conscience, if you will, that made me look at myself in a different way. And I became willing to share these things. I went on and told at meetings to other people, other alcoholics, what I did. And that took off some of the burden. And I saw that what they were trying to teach me in AA, that these principles, if followed, would lead to a new way of life and a new discovery. So I kept coming. In 22 years, I have missed three of these August gatherings, and that's because I was indisposed at the time. At every IDA meeting I've come to, I've always gone to the early bird meeting. I was willing to stick my hand up and get up in front of people and introduce myself and tell them who I was and what I was. I was willing to give them some of the same hope that was given to me. and. As part of the payoff for all this, I got to be known. A lot of people would look forward to the yearly meeting, to seeing me and me seeing them. And because of that, <laughs> the local group got to know me, and they became willing to ask me to share on willingness. And That's basically, for myself, what I want to say on willingness. I've often said at meetings that I go to, that the reason I go to meetings is to see what happens to people who go to meetings. I also come to see what happens to those people who are practicing a certain level of willingness because I realize there are many levels and many individual ways that willingness is expressed in different people's lives. But I also see what happens when there's unwillingness. And I have people I've known and people I've sponsored over the years who have stayed sober have practiced the first step pretty faithfully, but have resisted different levels 
and different degrees of willingness to practice other principles. And I've seen the consequences of that. I started out, the core group that I worked close to was the New Jersey professional group. And I developed many dear friends there. And I've seen how their life has been affected by willingness and unwillingness. And I was willing to come here and share this experience with you. And I'm willing, I think, to go to Pittsburgh. And I thank you, old timers who keep coming back. I thank you, newcomers, for coming. I hope that you get hope and encouragement to keep coming. And I hope you find a way to implement your willingness because that's the most important thing to be able to implement your willingness thank you very much